Your family's pretty small for Catholics. <laughs> I'm 5'4", so I thought you meant small, like short. I was like, whoa, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. I'm Christina, your host, and I have been having such a great weekend, which is pretty rare for me. At least it was rare for me prior to moving here. Uh, Weekends were something I always dreaded because it meant a lot of free time to fuck up. Um, I, I either felt like I would spend the whole weekend isolating or I would spend the weekend like pressurized to do all the things and hang out with all the people. But I've just been spending a lot of time with Caroline, my sister, who you heard uh, two episodes ago, and uh, my mom. We've just been going thrifting and getting our nails done together and watching movies. <laughs> Actually, Friday night, it was pretty funny. I was at my parents' house. Um, they live about 15 minutes from me now, and so I go there all the time. And literally none of my siblings were home. It was just me, almost 30 years old, spending a Friday night watching a World War II movie with my parents. And it was honestly everything that I had hoped and dreamed for. So before I get into today's conversation with my guest, I wanted to talk a little bit about my mental health lately because I think one of the things I tend to do is only talk about the struggles because, you know, I want to empathize with people. I want people to empath- I want people to empathize with me because I think it's just so important to have that conversation when you are struggling. But I do that so much that oftentimes I forget to talk about the times when I'm not struggling. And when I'm actually happy, uh, I forget if I talked about this before on the podcast, but I feel like a lot of my identity is tied to my mental illnesses. In fact, since I started the podcast, that's one of the things I was kind of nervous about was, will having a mental health podcast only solidify my identity, that there's nothing to me outside of my mental illnesses? So... This weekend, I felt like a very multifaceted person, and it was great. And I just had so many, there would be moments where I was just like sitting on the floor, eating popcorn with my parents or running an errand with my sister. And I would just think, I am so happy right now. This is what it feels like to be normal. This is what it feels like to not hate yourself every second of every day. This is what it feels like to not think about food every second of every day. And it was just so great. So I wanted to share that with you all that uh, in the moment I'm doing pretty well. Um, I just got a message from a listener that I want to share because it's really sweet, but also she brings up something that I find interesting. So uh, her name is Amanda. Hi, Amanda. I met her in school in Oklahoma, like I want to say 10 years ago, I think at the time I was trying to start a photography business. And so she had me do her senior pictures for her. Um, But she says, hey, Christina, this is a really awesome endeavor. I'm the second oldest in a family of six. One thing I've discovered has been surrounding my childhood being a human doer, quote unquote, instead of a human being. Performance and achievement outweighed so many things. I was parentified and just now able to make sense of the cloudy pain that has been plaguing me my whole anxious life. I would love to chat more about our experiences growing up, if you're open to it, surrounding our why, on caps, surrounding our why and how this journey of healing sucks but is so worth it. Uh, So thank you, Amanda. That was such a sweet message. Like I say every episode, I love it when you all contact me and let me know what you think. It just makes my whole day. But uh, one of the terms she used was parentified. I didn't really know what that meant, so I Googled it, and it turns out I think that it happened to me too. So I did a Google search, and I found this list titled How to Recognize Parentification. Uh, I'll just read them now. 
You were pulled into adult arguments. You were used by a parent as a substitute for their partner. You grew up feeling responsible, which I can totally relate to. You grew up caring for younger siblings. Yes, I'm the oldest of seven. Uh, you don't remember having time to be a child. Yep. You feel as though part of your childhood is missing. I, I talk about this all the time. I, I don't remember big parts of my childhood. Uh, as a child, you felt the world on your shoulders. As a child, you felt socially isolated. Hello, homeschooled. As a child, you experienced depression, anxiety, overworking, overwhelmed by life. As a child, you felt guilt and shame. And <laughs> literally, I check every single one of those boxes, except maybe the first two, uh, the ones about being pulled into adult arguments and being used as a substitute for my parents' partner. That didn't happen to me. But like every other thing is just spot on. So um, I would really love to do an episode where we talk about this more in depth. One of my old therapists introduced me to the term reparenting, which is kind of like if you grew up in the way I just described, uh, giving yourself that quote unquote normal childhood you never got to experience, like, but you are being the parent to yourself, like establishing healthy habits and treating yourself with kindness and just teaching yourself how to do life all over again. So reparenting is probably going to be something I'm going to have to do in my recovery. But I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, speaking of interesting, today's guest is a riot and a half. <laughs> we talked about his religious background and his journey to find his identity through college. I don't want to spoil it too much, but uh, we had some really interesting conversations and yeah, I, I will just um, let you all form your own opinions. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just came back from the beach with my sister Caroline, and I have like sand in my pants as I record this, so I'm going to go take a shower. I hope you all enjoy this interview, and have a great week. Stay safe and get vaccinated. Uh, so welcome to Pickles and Vodka. Um, thank you so much for being here. Also, you are very punctual. Like, I feel like not. I try to be. I'm not going to trash any other guests, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, sometimes shit happens, you know, but uh, I'm one of those people that like gets er there early to every party I'm at and it's really awkward. And so I can appreciate when I meet someone else who's like painfully punctual. Well, I'm definitely uh, fashionably late to parties, but uh, <laughs> when it comes to uh, appointments and such, uh, I got got to respect people's times. So you're able to compartmentalize your punctuality. That's good. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? First of all, just say your name, who you are, where you live, whatever you want to say. So I am Adam. I usually go by Lutch, a shortening of my last name. I am 31 years old. I live in New Jersey. I am a private dog trainer, and I have just started my second podcast. I didn't read your book, so please definitely go check that out. Yes. Uh, I'll be putting stuff up soon, um, but I am very excited to uh, be here with you tonight. Yes. When you messaged me, I checked out your YouTube channel as well as your podcast. And I have so many questions, so we should just get Please. into it. But yes, first definitely. of all, I want to get a picture of your background as it pertains to mental health, since this is a mental health podcast. Most of the time I ask guests to tell me what, like, how mental health was talked about in their family growing up. So that's an easy one. I'm, I consider myself a recovering Catholic. Uh, so I was a Catholic. So we really didn't talk about any of that kind of stuff in my house. It was uh, very much, you know, I've got an older brother and a younger sister. My parents are together, but just didn't really talk about that kind of stuff. So I was, uh, you know, into into religion for most of my childhood. But I, I guess it was right around the time that I actually got interested in uh, mental health myself. I actually have a, a degree in uh, psychology. Um, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not do my um, research right. <laughs> How could I miss such a thing? Yeah, so I, I actually started taking like human behavior uh, courses in uh, in like eighth grade and stuff. Uh, so I was always interested in, you know, in this kind of stuff, uh, probably because, you know, not a lot was going on at home uh, in, in the way of, you know, uh, emotional support and, and uh, mental health. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, 
I went to school uh, at uh, Ryder University, graduated in 2012, bachelor's in psychology. And I mean, I honestly, these days, I'm more uh, into philosophy than I am into psychology, but definitely having that basic understanding of like what's going on with me and like in general, what's going on with people. That was my introduction. And it was hard at first because mm-hmm. it was a lot there. You know, it's not like I was super crazy, but I uh, definitely, you know, wasn't healthy. Just uh, crazy enough. Exactly. <laughs> so that was my introduction to it. Okay, uh, I definitely so... didn't have a lot growing up. Well, uh, I'm a pastor's kid. And I have been in recovery from religion for about Ooh. 10 years now. High five. Yeah. <laughs> also, your family's pretty small for Catholics. I have six brothers and sisters, <laughs> and I wasn't, I'm not so, even Catholic. <laughs> I'm 5'4", so I thought you meant small, like short. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, usually, yes, that's very typical for Catholics to have a huge family. But uh, yeah, just me, my brother, and my sister. How shitty would that be if I just got came, <laughs> got guests to go on my podcast and just instantly start, started berating them for their physical features? <laughs> no, yeah, we're uh, we're a, a tight little crew, the Lutchmans. Um, but I mean, like my immediate family is small, but my mom is the oldest of seven. There we so, go. Oh, me too. I'm the oldest of seven. High five to your mom. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, she was actually uh, born and raised in Jamaica. Okay. And then she uh, went to school for nutrition uh, in England. Like I said, she's the oldest. So she uh, left her family. Most of them uh, stayed in Jamaica for a while. Uh, and then my mom, when my mom was in school, they made their way over to the U.S. And most of them live in Florida now. So when I was younger, we used to go down there at least at least once a year and meet up with them. But ever since, you know, high school, uh, I've probably really only been down there a couple of times. So, I mean, I keep up with uh, a few of my cousins online, but another another area where it's like, hmm, I wonder why I like to talk so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm super curious on hearing about how, when you started to question your faith and you know, yourself by extension, like when you started discovering yourself. I definitely remember freshman year of college, which would be 2008, 2009. I definitely remember having Bible verses in my aim away messages. Oh my fucking God. I don't don't know how old you and your listeners are, but if, if any of you remember that. Um, So I definitely went into college a, a believer, but I definitely had, I definitely had questions at that point. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the the uh, understanding myself and like the darknesses within myself and my own family. Uh, and then definitely once I started taking philosophy courses, I was like, oh, OK, I get this. I don't. Yeah. The, the parts that never made sense to me. Now it makes sense why it doesn't make sense. And I don't believe any of this shit. <laughs> well, uh, can you talk a little bit more about the darkness in you and your family? So I, if I have to give my parents credit for anything, it's it's bringing me up in an environment that was what I imagine they hoped, for, you know, going to a different country and, and giving a better life for their kids. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it wasn't until third grade when I had a, a friend come over and we, you know, my parents and I picked him up from from his house and brought him back to our house. And as we pull up, he goes, whoa, how many people live here? I mean, it wasn't a giant house, but he lived in, you know, the poor side of the neighborhood. And I, I just never, I was like, what do you mean? And, and so that was the first time. And then uh, in, in middle school, I distinctly remember one of my friends was looking through a car magazine and uh, there happened to be the BMW that my dad has. And I was like, oh, my dad has that. And same kind of thing. I was like, what, your dad has that? And to show my, in my to, to show my ignorance, I was like, yeah, my mom's got a Ford Windstar. Um, so they, they definitely did a great job of providing me with definitely now what I see is, you know, a strong household and, and, you know, I I think, uh, having a two parent household is one of the the greatest privileges you can have these days. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we, I had the privilege of wealth. I mean, like I said, we weren't rich, but I definitely never had to worry about money. And then at the same time, 
because I guess of the immigrant mentality, um, they were really good at, at not spoiling us kids. Yeah. So I, I got the, the, the best of, uh, of both ends there. However, um, that's pretty much the extent of family was to me. I would go over friends' houses and be so uncomfortable. Like if I went to a friend's house for, for dinner and they were like joking around with their parents, it was such a weird concept to me because mm. in my house, it was like parents are disciplinarians. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like a troublemaker or anything, but I definitely wasn't like an, a little angel. So, you know, I was always on my, and, you know, with my dad working all the time, my mom, you know, had to pick up a lot of the slack. So even, even to today, her and I don't really have that great of a relationship. Um, in the, in the past five ish, five, 10 years or so, I've made a really strong effort to, you know, get closer to my dad. But in that same time, I realized that I think the best relationship that my mom and I are going to have is a very superfluous one and mm. just, you know, keep it pleasant. And we're just very different. She's still very religious. Uh, she, you know, we just, in every single way, we're very different people. Yeah. And, um, you know, trying to have her understand me, mom, you just don't get me. It's like, no, she, she really just doesn't. And that's okay. I can say that now at 31 years old, but yeah. you know, when I was 15, it was, it was very uh, not fun. It's and, crushing uh, when you, when you see the relationships that mothers and, and sons or daughters have on TV and then you want that for yourself, but it doesn't happen. And it's, it can be very devastating. Um, I'm 29 and I just came this year, came to the same realization that you just described where, I mean, my mom listens to this podcast. She's going to hear this, whatever. Um, Love you, mom. We, we have <laughs> we have very different views and we can only connect so much before we hit a wall because um, right. I'm never going to change my views and she's never going to change her views. And it's just like we can be civil and have fun together and be friends, but I don't want to hear about that part of your life. Just like you don't want to hear about that part of my life. And I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's something you have to grieve. I think the relationship you could have had with your parent. Yeah, a hundred percent. And personally, I, I think the confluence of the strict parenting and the lack of relationship with the religious uh, structure, and then, you know, finding out that 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 was all bullshit around that time, I got very angry as, mm -hmm. as many atheists do. And uh, so I actually, I was into like uh, metal and hardcore and emo screamo and all that stuff Hell uh, yeah. when I was in high school and um I was straight edge for most of it but just like religion I realized oh wait do I really believe in this or am I just like doing this to fit in and then senior year I went to a party and smoked some weed and I was like holy shit this is awesome <laughs> and um now that is a giant part of my life I'm a huge marijuana advocate um but before um, having a more healthy relationship with medication, I went down a, a road of self-medication that was um, not nearly as dark as it could have been, but uh, it, it wasn't too great. I mean, like I said, in, I, I was straight edge in high school, uh, smoked for the first time in, uh, it was like the spring of uh, senior year high school. And then when I went to college, you know, I would, I would drink as like any normal college kid, but then I really got into smoking. So I really like that. Did you go to a, a Catholic college or? Uh, no. So I went to uh, Ryder university. It's a, it is a, um, a, a private university. So it's a little bit smaller, which is good for me. Like most of the, like I live uh, or, or I grew up like right in uh, Rutgers university territory that's like the, the, the main place where everybody goes in Jersey. Um, and I just wasn't, I, especially with not having that kind of base that I wanted at home, I, I was not looking to just go and be, uh, you know, a number in a giant school. So Ryder was definitely a better, a better choice for me. You know, they had, I had smaller classes in college than I did in high school. And it, it was cool because it was, it was like a high school in the sense that you kind of knew everybody, but everybody was a little bit older, a little bit more, you know, it wasn't so clicky in, in high school. Um, Sounds like a good balance. It, it, it was, but the, <laughs> the problem is then that if you happen to find somebody else who's kind of going through the same things like, hey, you want to try this pill? 
then, you know, it becomes very easy to just hang out with those three or four people and do the same shit every yeah. day. The, the pattern I hear with you is similar to a lot of people who come out of religion in that it, the black and white thinking and the trading one, like the, the quote unquote addiction of religion for like other things like you're, mm. you're using. I mean, for me, at least that's how it was. I don't know. Religion or not, I think I definitely have an addictive personality, whether it's, you know, substances or just whatever I'm doing. I either don't do it or I go 100 percent. Yep. I don't know. It just I'm I'm a very passionate person because when I, I think those I've been, you know, I said I was into music, but I've been playing music since I was, you know, five years old. And that was probably the first iteration, I guess you could say, of something that would later be replaced by by drugs. You know, I would yeah. have music that w- would be my escape. And that was because I didn't have anything else. I was mm-hmm. so passionate about that. And then that just carried over to every everything else, whether it was, uh, you know, other people. I, you know, I've had, I, I just, I guess just not having that, that, uh, uh, that strong relationship with really anyone in my family, I was always desperate to have like a best friend. And like uh, when I was younger in elementary school, all, all the time I would get in trouble just for like being in the wrong place, at the wrong time for hanging out with the wrong kids, because those were always the kids that would, that would accept me. And, oh my uh, God. I, that's <laughs> so interesting that you say that because one of my pet peeves that I've had since I was a kid is the idea that you have to have a best friend that you've known your whole life that is there with you for all your momentous life occasions. Um, some people do have that and that's great, but I think it's kind of a myth to be honest. Uh, and also relationships change as you get older. You're never the same person as you were when you were younger, at least, you know, hopefully. You want my, you want my dark take on that? Yes, please. <laughs> I, I do think that it is rare, but there are, there are definitely people who, when you find them that like you click and you know, and you'll be friends. And I had a friend like that and we were kind of friends in elementary school and we kind of grew apart. And then we weren't really even uh, uh, that close in high school, but we ended up both going to Ryder. And even there, I, I've always said the, the, the biggest mistake I ever made was um, not rooming with this kid. His name mm-hmm. was Adam. His last name was uh, Condiote. So we called him Akon. He, t- he that was before the rapper. However, in 2013, uh, a bunch of us were like, hey, uh, you know, we're getting older. Why don't we all uh, go take this awesome trip to Hawaii and, uh, you know, do something as friends for the last time before we all get old and don't really hang out anymore. And Akon decided, um, I'm going to use the money to uh, buy a motorcycle. So we went on our trip. He was uh, in motorcycle school. And seven weeks later, he died in a motorcycle accident. Fuck. and uh, the relationship I had with that kid was I something that I know is when I was with him, it was so clear that it was like, damn, this is what I wanted my whole life. Like just yeah. a bro, just like this. And like the, the, the way that I explain it is I used to work uh, in, in a bunch of different restaurants, but uh, the images from this one particular one, I'd walk out and on my way to the car, not every night, but uh, virtually every night on my way to the car, I would call him. And just be like, yo, what are we doing tonight? And it's not like, yo, what are you up to? Are we hanging out? I just like, yo, what are we doing tonight? And especially as somebody who I can be outgoing when I want to be, but I'm for the most part, I'm more of an introvert. And, you know, just having a bro to just sit around, smoke weed, watch movies, talk about this, talk about girls, stuff like yeah. that. It seems so simple. And like, I guess uh, at, on some level, you know, you should be able to have that kind of connection with, with any, well, first of all, any dude, as a dude, you should be able to, you know what I mean? Vibe with any other dude just from having the same kind of uh, experience. And then there's, you know, people that you're, you're friends with that you hang out with, but you know, if they don't come to the party, it's, it's not a big deal. And then you have like your, your true, true friends. And like at this age, you know, past 25, 30, it's, it's kind of like you either have those friends or you don't. And I know, I know a lot of people who, who, you know, are still friends with people from really young and they're really, they're really close. And like, they're in every part of each other's lives. Like, I mean, like a sitcom. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know how common that really is. 
<sighs> yeah, it, it's really hard to find. There is that special kind of person that you just click with right away and you know that you're going to be friends. Uh, it is rare, but I have found some people like that. Then there's the people that you're super close to for a few years and then you grow distant. And, and I'm really sorry for your loss. That's Thanks. that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you 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 say that too because there's another friend I'm thinking of that uh, was well he's not gonna listen to this so my boy Nick was really close friends with Akon but like right before Akon died me and Nick got kind of close but before that Nick and I kind of ran in different circles while we both were into doing the same kind of shit he I would be the guy who just wants to um, get what he has and go in my room and and have to myself while he's running around providing to everybody else if you understand what I mean so I was just like I don't you know I don't want to have anything to do with that that's you know whatever whatever but I got to through Akon I got to know him as a person and I was like wow like this is actually a really you know really good person and Akon seemed to be one of his only friends on this side of the track, so to speak. And so when Akon died, I kind of felt a little bit of a responsibility to stay in his life. You know, not because I had to, I, I wanted to, but that it was kind of meant to be that that Akon was helping this dude stay on the straight and narrow. And now Akon's gone and I could let Nick just go do what he's going to do, or I could step up. And, you know, he may not be the most squeaky clean, best influence, but the kid has heart. The kid's really smart. He's loyal as hell. And, you know, that's when it comes down to it. That's what you look for in a friend. And, um, yeah, it's been almost 10 years. And, I, I nice. like, we were, we were really close friends. And then, you know, unfortunately, in the last few years, we just seem to have been kind of growing apart a little bit more. It's really cool because we were able to be open with each other because, Akon was my best friend and Akon was his best friend. And we, me and Nick were, were tight, but we were always very open with the fact that like, yo, we're cool, but you'll never be Akon to me and I'll yeah. never be Akon to you. And like, that's all right. That's definitely an interesting premise to start a, a friendship on. Definitely a unique situation. I don't know. It's, it's tough when I would love to have that kind of friendship with him. But again, like, you know, we're just, we're, like we said, people grow and change. and Yeah. Knowing that it's very common doesn't make it any easier when it actually happens. Because you think you have people in your life you think they're going to be with you forever. And, you know, unfortunately with Akon, you, you saw just how fragile that can be. And then Nick, you know, I'm glad that you were friends for 10 years or whatever. And you're still friends. You know, yeah. I have friendships that we drift apart for a few years and then something happens. We one person messages the other and it's like no time has passed. Like those are the right. best friendships to me. Yeah. Moving to a slightly different topic. Talk to me a little bit more about your interest in psychology and how that all started. So, um, like I said, from the time I was in, uh, in middle school, I was interested in, I, I, like I had my sights set on being a therapist. I, I think it was even like a high school course that I took because I had whatever it was the prerequisite, I had passed that. And so I was in eighth grade taking a high school uh, course for it. And then like I've taken the AP psychology. So I was, I was always interested in it. But I think, you know, this is a story with most people who go into it, but I just wanted to figure out what the fuck was going on with me. Like, why do I, why is this? Why do I feel that? And then, you know, how can I fix any of this? Mm -hmm. And it, religion was what I was told was the answer for everything. And as I was, you know, trying to do that and trying to apply religion to, you know, I guess that means praying on it or whatever. While I was trying to do that, things weren't, changing, uh, though I was putting in conscious effort. And then as I was learning more, I started to to work that into, you know, how I interacted with people. And part of it isn't just my family. I think another large part of it, which maybe stems from the whole family thing, is just my overall demeanor. I think I tend to come off a little bit abrasive without meaning to. I'm very open-minded. And because of that, I think a lot about the things that, uh, you know, like my opinions and mm -hmm. I hold them very strongly. And I feel like when people question it, they don't necessarily expect me to have thought it through as, as well as I have. And then, you know, maybe they hear something they don't like 
and they question it and they're like, hey, that doesn't sound right. They're like, well, actually this, you know, this, 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 that. And then they feel like I'm trying to fight them. I'm like, I'm just telling you what I think. And like, that's a common, common, common theme with me to this day that I'm, I'm trying to work on. Like I just said a thing and now you're mad at me for the thing that I said that you, I don't know. So you feel like you're not being open-minded enough? I think that because I'm so acutely aware of the message that I'm trying to get across, if I don't choose the words properly, it sounds like I'm just being stubborn when I'm just not getting my point off properly. And so then when somebody will like, okay, so let's, let's take a hard example. Let's say, um, um, I don't know. Give me, give me a random topic. I'm sure I have an opinion on it. Oh, this is, uh, I'm going to endanger making some people mad here, but uh, vaccines. Okay. So this is perfect actually, because throughout the, uh, the whole like 2020 of, of it all, I kind of was more on the less uh, less scared side. I kind of just felt like, all right, well, you know, let's see what this is. Let's look at the numbers, take it seriously for sure. But it's probably not the end of the world. We, you know, I wasn't really that big about masks and everything. And then, uh, you know, supposedly it was supposed to die down and then it was supposed to be the end of it. And then, you know, the whole thing with Delta and, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, before that, I had no intention on getting the vaccine because I was like, all right, it's going to come around. It's going to go away. Herd immunity. Good to go. There's a lot of things that I should probably do more often that I don't do. It's not anything about that uh, in particular. <laughs> Preach. But then, you know, then this the story started changing and all along there was never, you know, a real true north you know, in the news and, you know, the politics of it all and the science, there was never any real true North. It was just about wading through, you know, piles and piles of different opinions and and, and stuff and kind of trying to figure it out on your own. So where it stands today, I fully intend on being vaccinated, but I'm, if I break it down to uh, sheer probabilities and, uh, you know, I think of it as the, the trolley problem. And if I were to get COVID, that's just a thing that can happen because you live life. But if I were to get sick or die because of something that I added into, uh, uh, added extra that I didn't have to do, then it feels counterintuitive. So it feel it, and I don't, that, you know, isn't backed up by science, obviously, but that's, you know, just where my head is at. And obviously now that there's, you know, the Delta variant and the, and, and whatever possible side effects, I'm just kind of putting it off. But I'm not like anti-vax. I'm not against it or anything. You know, I've got every other vaccine. So taking that opinion, you know, it's got a number of different uh, uh, nuances and, and caveats. And if you had, if we hadn't been talking about specifically breaking down my opinion, and it just came up, I may have said something, you know, about I'm not vaxxed or I, I you know, I, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You would then not you but the other, whoever would then have a visceral reaction. And then I'm on my heels defending like, well, yeah. no, 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 what you're actually getting offended or upset about is not actually what I said. Or if I said it, I didn't mean it, allowing me to correct myself. And I'm like, no, no, no. And in trying to correct that and actually getting to say what I did truly mean to say, the person is like, no, you're just being stubborn. You just want to be right. You just want to do this. You just want to do that. And so that all to say, this started ha- happening, you know, with my parents. And so that was one of the first things that I was like, I need to figure out what is going on in my head when I'm trying to say these things and what's going on in the other person's head when they hear these things and where's the disconnect. Gotcha. And that's why you were, you were so interested in psychology. Yeah. I was like, if I can figure out what, cause like it, when I say things or think things it's in my head. So it seems rational to me, obviously, but there are so many things that it wouldn't be just vaccines. It's, it could be politics. It could be dating. It could be music. It could be movies. There's everything that I have. I just, I'm a very opinionated person. And it doesn't mean that I'm not open-minded. If, if I have a strong opinion about something and you're able to convince me otherwise, I'm more than willing to change my opinion. But the fact is I've already thought about it a lot. So, if, yeah. so whatever you bring up, if you haven't thought about it, Likely, I've already thought about that. So when I have a rebuttal to that, it's not because I'm being difficult. It's simply because I've already thought about that. I think a lot of people don't do that. Uh, and I, I am, you know, fall into that category. I attach emotions to a lot of arguments. You said you, 
a lot of people don't do what? They don't think things through before they talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Hot take, everyone. Most people don't think things through. But I feel like, especially in the religious world, uh, for instance, I'll use abortion as an example. So many Mm -hmm. of the people that I love are pro-life and or anti-abortion, I should say. And they won't even hear my argument because they're like, they're so emotionally attached to the issue. It's literally good and evil life and death for them. And I was like that as a Christian. And now I find myself as an atheist slipping back into that closed mindedness sometimes, but on the other side, I've only just started talking about religion and how it's fucked me up like to there in my therapy because it's just it's so many red flags if someone brings it up I, I find myself just uh, not being the best prepared to talk about it so mm. all that to say I, I, I respect that you're at least like you know that you come across that way and you're you're trying to see okay maybe how can I change my approach so I can connect better with people is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I mean, again, it, the the irony is, I think so much about this stuff because it all, uh, you know, it all ties back to like, hey, just like me, please. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, uh, uh, I have uh, generalized anxiety, and so I, and just thinking about everything all of the time, it uh, it brings me to certain conclusions about stuff. Uh, but then that backfires because then I have all these strong opinions, and it's hard for me to to let it go, and like. Again, another perfect, uh, uh, real quick example, just because you brought it up, but, you know, with the uh, abortion topic to demonstrate, you know, my version of open mindedness, for for lack of a better, a better term. I believe it was Steven Crowder who was on uh, Joe Rogan and they were talking about uh, they're they're talking about it. And then subsequently, Steven Crowder also did like one of his change my mind things um, about abortion or Actually, it was Josh Zepps on, on Rogan, but neither here nor there. Uh, yeah. the, the point that was brought up was drawing the line. Uh, where does life begin? And, you know, they go through like, uh, you know, when you, can you feel pain or the heartbeat or this? And, and it, it all seemed very arbitrary. And I found myself really having to look at the, the claim that life begins at conception. And I was like, I can't refute that. There is no other place in uh, 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 from zygote to human baby that you can draw a line that starts a process other than conception. However, that doesn't override medical bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most, I don't want to say most, but many pro-choice people don't understand that many pro-life people genuinely feel that, you know, the baby is another human and that it is, it is yeah. murdering a baby. And there's, oh, it's just a clump of cells. Like, that's not an argument. Like, that's not what they think. And yeah. you're not going to convince them of that. But, you know, nobody wants to take the time to actually think, you know, okay, well, where do you draw that line? Where does life begin? There's yeah. a process and, and like, okay, fine. You got me. I, you, I concede. You, life begins at conception. That still doesn't mean that the government should have the right to, you know, do, yeah. do all that. I, I forget which comedian it was, uh, but one some comedian that I love was saying, like, of course, the pro-lifers are going to be super upset at the you know, pro-choicers. They think babies are getting killed. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's you have to put yourself in their shoes and think, OK, this is what they believe. And it's valid like their their emotional right. reaction is valid you know that and and that's the that's the big thing the uh idea that abortion is murder is a valid concept whether or not you agree with it is 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 secondary and i don't uh, i i don't agree i i believe that uh, uh you know bodily autonomy comes above anything else and and, and so you know that brings it back again to more of you know how religion was a big part in, in strong arming my thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that, I think it's just a matter of taking that back and being like, well, now I'm going to think what I want to think. And instead of it being just reactionary, it it's, it's rooted in legitimate stuff, you know, like real, like facts and, and, and philosophies. What has that process looked like for you 
you use the word recovery and I, I love that word uh, on so many levels. So I'm going to keep using it, but your recovery from your background, uh, what, what has that looked like over the years? So are we talking like childhood stuff? Are we talking religion? Are we talking drugs? <laughs> all, the all the, all the things just, uh, how has your mental health been throughout it all? And like, I guess it's definitely, it's definitely been a long journey. And I think the biggest things have just been over time coming to the further realization that I just need to accept that I, you know, that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know that, that just my authentic self is, is something that I am, I'm proud of that. I am not somebody who's out here, you know, faking it. I'm not, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing me the way that I think you know, you should, you should live. I'm, I'm living the way you think you should live. And it doesn't, it doesn't always look like that to other people. And I get challenged and I get really sensitive about that, but it's, it's been about coming to terms with the idea that the general consensus doesn't necessarily mean jack shit. I mean, when I was in church, everybody believed and they were all wrong. When emo became popular, everybody liked all the shitty bands and I liked all the good ones. And then when uh, I was into electronic music, everybody liked the you know same kind of stuff. And so this, see a this pattern idea, here. Yeah. And, and just being able to accept that you can acknowledge good things about yourself. Like that's allowed. And I think I'm a pretty uh, uh, weird eclectic guy, but that was always something that I saw as a bad thing. And yeah. I'm, I'm learning to, to lean into it. It's like, what does that even mean? You know, it's all so subjective. Then you start worrying, oh, am I, and, and this is the things that I've thought, by the way. I'm like, oh, I'm, am I weird and eclectic enough? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's literally something I've thought, like maybe not explicitly, but <sighs> yeah, I'm curious about your, your definition of identity and how that has changed over the years. Cause I know with religion, that's like a huge identity, if not your only identity. Absolutely. And um, Absolutely. So have you, have you been like, like, have you had the urge to replace it over the years with something else? We talked about drugs and that kind of thing. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit. So real quick, I, uh, I do want to get back to that identity question because I, I think we should uh, definitely go there. But in terms of um, replacing religion, I think in high school, I replaced religion with the straight edge thing, not really realizing because I wasn't very active. And while we had grown up in the uh, Catholic church, when I was in like eighth grade, we had moved to a uh, Methodist church and that was more laid back. And that's actually where uh, I had met my first girlfriend. And so, you know, church wasn't that bad. It wasn't all that bad anymore. Yeah. So when I was losing my faith, it wasn't as dark. And so I think by the time... I was was going through that. First, I had the straight edge thing, but then I definitely found an identity in the the stoner thing. Uh, but music, I think, was more so that that identity. Even though I dropped the the straight edge thing, I always identified myself by what music I listened to. Uh -huh. It just seemed that like I was kind of ahead of the curve, but not really. So like I was one of those like, oh, I liked them before they were cool, but like last week. And um, I, I wanted that street cred. I wanted to be that cool guy who knew the, you know, the underground yeah. bands. Like, oh, you're a poser. I listen to the real stuff. Well, when we went to college, like hipsters were a, such a big thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a private college as well. It was Christian and like everyone was a hipster. I was just like, wow, these basics, <laughs> they don't know what to listen to. I'm just like, it's, it's another yeah. identity. You know, when I was, uh, you know, just I was either the punk kid or the metal kid. And then when I got to college and I uh, somebody first introduced me to MDMA, I was like, oh, I like electronic music now. <laughs> and then I will only like, you know, deep techno. I don't want to listen to, uh, you know, yep. stuff. and like that. That was how I identified myself on how cool was the stuff that that I liked. And that was how I tried to get people to like me is be like, hey, I'm into cool stuff. And I mean, I was, I am into cool stuff. But over time, I've realized that, you know, I'm into that cool stuff because I think it's cool, not for any other reasons. And I mean, I'm not perfect. I still, you know, want to be, I mean, cool is not the word, but I definitely want to be 
memorable? Yeah, you know, influencer is the wrong word because of the the, the the culture. But I mean, I want to be someone of influence. You know, I... I Same. I mean, that's what we all want. I, I have to uh, credit both my philosophy courses uh, specifically, but then, you know, just that opening my eyes to be into philosophy uh, recreationally on my own. Just learning that my identity is not much more than what I do and what I believe. And so for the last few years, with all this time being so obsessed with music, I was just talking to a friend today about how it's not worth it for me to pay for Spotify because from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm, I'm listening to a podcast or watching YouTube videos on this or that or something. And I speed my podcasts up to two times speed and I'm just constantly just absorbing new information. And it's not always like, you know, I'm really into UFC. So sometimes it's just like a UFC podcast. But, you know, I have my news and political podcasts I listen to every day. I have general culture commentary people throughout my day. That's that's what I'm doing. And then, you know, I'm a dog trainer. So uh, I go to people's houses and uh, train their dogs. So I'm driving a lot. So at home, I'm watching YouTube. I hop in the car, put on a podcast. I'm uh, doing, uh, I'm with a client for an hour, then I'm back in the car with the podcast on. Getting all that information has allowed me to build the identity that, that I want and that I can be proud of and, and stand by whether or not people will approve of it. And it's allowed me to see that all this time that I wasn't being accepted by this person or that person, that it was like, wait a minute, it was your fault. It wasn't me. Like all this time I've been thinking I was a, a shitty person. I'm like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not so bad. Yeah. And you go through the steps of educating yourself. You put in the hours listening to podcasts. Like you, it sounds like you're actively working on your identity. And I, I think it's interesting. You said your identity is what you think and what you do, because uh, I was uh, in treatment earlier this year for an eating disorder. And I, that's a whole other story. But one of the biggest takeaways I got was that you cannot control other people's reactions you can't control your feelings but you can control your behavior that's like the only thing you can control and it really made me think about what kind of control i actually had because i think when you do grow up um, the way we did like control is a big issue at least for me uh, i felt like i was out of control most of my life and so now most of my negative coping mechanisms are just me trying to take control and well, I, I mean, I, I had a question, if you don't mind, just because I had a girlfriend uh, in high school who had a serious eating uh, disorder. She was institutionalized a couple of times. And I mean, I just, you know, I just want to say kudos for dealing with that and uh, working on it. Because I, I mean, even as a recovering addict myself, it's not like I need pills or whatever to live. I, I don't know that people understand how much different it is to have that type of addiction. Yeah. Well, I'm also, uh, I'm two years sober from alcohol. I was a raging alcoholic and it's totally different. Like it was hell getting sober, but now it's easy for me. I don't really think about it. I go to bars with friends all the time. Like it's just not that much of a struggle, but with my bulimia, it's like, I have to eat to survive. So they tell me, uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's very different. I mean, as far as I understand it, you know, uh, much like any other addiction, you are aware of what you're doing to yourself, but it doesn't change yeah. the fact that you're still going to do it. Yeah. You know? and, and for me, I could just be like, no, I'm going to be good today. I'm not going to spend $100 for four hours of fun and then fall asleep and then feel like shit the next morning. That's a pretty easy trade-off. Yeah. But I can only imagine how hard it must be to, you know, whatever it is. I, I mean, how, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, I'm still figuring out how. I, I've been dealing with this for 15 years. And oh. the older I get, the less I feel like I understand about it. I, I, I mean, that's a lie. When I was younger, I, I think I was under the illusion that it was helping me, you know, lose weight or handle my emotions or get back at my parents or religion or like whatever. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm an adult, like I'm, I'm pretty educated about mental health stuff. I like to think I'm a smart person and 
uh, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know that it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I know that it's hurting me and I do it anyway because it, it feels almost like self-harm in a way, which has always been a thing for me since I was like 11. So, Wow, that's <laughs> ironic because I was gonna, I was just going to say, it's funny how I didn't even remember to bring up about how uh, religion brought me to uh, self-harm at the age of 11 as well. Well, yes. Well, so first of all, you know, solidarity also um your your religious upbringing do you find that you still battle thoughts of you're a bad person and you need to be punished or what whatever in a religious context no well just like for instance with me i think i deserve bad things i think i deserve to be punished i'm just a bad person and no matter how many affirmations i give myself or how much therapy i'm in i still can't seem that's like the root issue and I know that comes in some part from religion. So I was just curious if you have ever had the same sort of thoughts. I mean, I definitely for a long time uh, struggled with the, the, the hangover, so to speak, of having the, you know, the belief in hell, uh, the belief that um, being watched all the time, that, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think being part of a, uh, a Methodist church for the, the latter part of my religious career, so to speak, um, was, was helpful. They were a lot less religious. As much as I enjoyed it, I, I have a big problem with that type of religion because by watering it down, you're now not really doing religion. You're just kind of making up your own rules and saying God said it. But in the short term, it, it helps you not feel the shame of a fake God sending you to hell. I think the 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 self-harm when I was younger that continued probably through early high school. I don't know that it was necessarily a to punish myself because I felt like I needed to be punished. I think it was more of a way to conceptualize uh, what I was feeling. I, there were so many thoughts and feelings going on that I didn't understand. I was a cutter. So when I would mm -hmm. be cutting, there's nothing else that you can think about. And there's a pain there that is, uh, that is comprehensible. And it's yeah. like, okay, for this moment, all right, I'm, I'm focused on this pain and this I can understand. All right. At least like it fucking hurts, but like, at least I can catch, I'm not worried about what's going on. It just, I fucking scratched myself with a pair of scissors. Obviously, You know what hurt. to do to fix it. Right. And then, you know, in the days of, of in healing, I, the, the same kind of thing, it would take my mind off of other things. Yeah. So I don't know that it was necessarily that I felt I needed to be punished. I think for a long time, and, and again, I think this might be paired with the, the fact that I moved away from the Catholic Church. I, I always felt like the idea that if you don't follow X, Y, and Z, that you're a bad person, uh -huh. that morality doesn't work that way. It's about trying to be good. I mean, even at a young age before, you know, really questioning the religion itself or anything, I was like, well, if God made me and I'm trying to do the best I can, then if I fuck up, that's your fault. Have you heard of... Um, uh, recovering from a religion. Is, is that an organization? Yeah, it's a foundation for, you know, people like yourself, uh, people who are in, you know, the clergy or uh, whatever. And you can just go and, and, and talk about these kind of things. Actually, what's been really, really helpful for, uh, because, the, you know, the, the religion thing is a big part of why my mom and I are not able to have a real relationship. Yeah. Um, and even though my dad's also uh, religious, he went through uh, what he calls an atheistic phase when he was in his 20s. And just in general, he's easier to talk to. So as I've gotten better at expressing myself, I found, you know, even still when we would talk about religion, it would get very heated for, for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Matt Dillahunty and the, uh, the call-in show, The Atheist Experience? No, I am not. But I feel like I'm about to be. It's a call-in show where it's basically like, we're atheists. What do you believe? Call us in, tell us what you believe and why. And then it's just from there, they'll, you know, just ask the questions and it's like, okay, if you can stump us, then whatever. But I found that in the conversations between uh, my dad and myself about religion, because I was, for lack of a better word, attacking his personal beliefs, yeah. he was unable to separate the logic of the ideas from his beliefs. So I started making a playlist of like, they'll, they'll time stamp. It's like a two hour show and it'll be somewhere between five and 10 people call in per show. They do it every uh, Sunday, you know, they'll timestamp each one. So I started making a playlist of calls that would show some type of point or some type of argument that my dad might make. Just preparing yourself. 
Yeah, we would watch it together and I could attack that person's argument. And so he could see the logic of it. And because it's not his personal beliefs, it was much easier to talk about. And there's a lot of people who call in saying, uh, you know, very similar things that you're saying. I don't know how much of what you're going through is directly tied to uh, religion, but for, for what it's worth, it's definitely, you know, worth checking out for sure, just the show to see what, what other people are experiencing. And then if you are uh, struggling, the Recovering from Religion uh, Foundation is definitely a great, great resource. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I know I'm not alone when I say I, I've been hurt by religion and I don't want to make it like make it the scapegoat for all my problems, you know, but uh, but I have to acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. Some of the most heartbreaking calls from that show are people pretty much saying this, the same kind of thing that you're saying. They're like, you know, I, I grew up, it's usually um, people who will have grown up in like a cult or like the Mormon church, Jehovah's Witness, something that's a little uh, more um, Extreme. A little more strict than, yeah. And they got out of it, but because the indoctrination was so much, they're like, okay, I, I, I know that I don't believe in this anymore but I still have that fear of hell or I still have it. And it's just heartbreaking because I mean, same thing with the, with the addiction intellectually things, certain things, but what you feel can influence that very heavily. Wouldn't that be nice if that's all you needed was intellect and then you could just overcome everything with your brain. Yeah. I mean, dope. They, they tell me it tends to be a little bit easier as a man, but uh, I I don't know about all that. (laughs) Uh, Don't get me started on that. Um, no, we've I talked think... for an hour and I haven't even asked you about your, uh, podcast or your fucking dog training, but as we start wrapping up, I, I wrote down a quote that you said on one of your YouTube videos that I wanted to ask you about. Um, sure. well, so your channel is all really, uh, which you, you should need to explain what that, what that is. But one of the videos you said, um, believe nothing except that anything is possible. And I love that. And I wanted to ask you about that. You and how that me, came right? to be. Yeah. Oh my God. You're holding out your arm and you have it tattooed. And it's not just like a small little tattoo. Oh, it's man. like, it's like your main tattoo. Yeah. I love that. Well, I've got 30, so it's not my main one. My main one is uh, <laughs> oh, my other just, arm. For, I can't, for I, I stopped but... counting. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man. So yeah, but uh, all really was actually the older iteration of the podcast. You know, it started out as uh, an atheist thing that me and uh, my roommate at the time were doing. It it was early on and we were listening to people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens. And we thought we were, you know, super smart and like, oh, you stupid religious people. We're going to tell you. And so we did a few episodes. And I think it was after the fourth one, we were like, "Um, we kind of wanted to talk about how cool TV is these days. And then we were like, uh, we don't know anything else. So we, we changed it around and we were like, all right, let's get other people on and see what they know. And the idea was that we just wanted to have a long form conversation and organically extract any type of life wisdom that just comes from shooting the shit with your friends or, you know, whoever, whoever it was, it was a, uh, it was a play on the like, oh, really? Like if you're to say something cool and someone's like, oh, really? but like <laughs> awe, like the sense of awe. And uh, I didn't think about having to spell that every time. So I'm, I'm very happy with the uh, the fact that I didn't read your book is just as it's spelled. Um, <laughs> which is your other podcast, by the way. Which I didn't is read your yeah, book. what I'm doing now. But the, so your first uh, podcast is awe really spelled A-W-E comma really. Yes. And the tagline for that was uh, the quote, believe nothing except that anything is possible. It's my life motto. I just think that belief itself is a a bad, or rather, faith itself is a is, is a is a bad thing. We have faith in certain areas where it can be justified. Like I I have faith that you're a real person, but you know, again, it would be a pretty big feat if we were just having this conversation. And you were just like some bot or something. Um, <laughs> but that's not the same kind of faith as well. I can't prove it, but I just you look at a flower and it's got to be God. That's yeah. that kind of faith is yeah. is the absence of reason. And how you define the word. Right. And and reason is the basis for rationality and just taking into account faith can make otherwise virtuous people do horrific things. And mm. uh, you know, what you believe informs what you do. Yeah. And so I, I come back to the first part, believe nothing. And you may accept certain premises. But certainty doesn't exist. 
So agreed. you should just have that humility at any point that you could be wrong about everything that you know. I have to tell myself that every day too. And then, you know, the anything is possible is the not so nihilistic end of that. It's that, you know, just believe absolutely nothing except that anything could be what it could be. You don't know. I love that. I think <laughs> that's you. a beautiful like journey from from being a religious person to the complete opposite to this place of balance where you're like, I'm a human. I, I don't know what's really out there. I, I'm accepting that I don't know, and that's okay. I'm, I'm happy you said that because I think people's inability or unwillingness to simply say, I don't know, is mm. the only reason that organized religion still exists. Like, I, I, I believe in uh, 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 that there could be a, a higher power or, or something. There's definitely something more than just the physical atoms that we know about. We're not definitely. Yeah. That's, that's the premise that I am uh, not fully convinced of, but I am willing to entertain based on the knowledge that we have. Because religion is really the only game in town for that spirituality for lack of a better term, people who don't really think that far about it and don't take religious beliefs to their logical end with extremism, they just, well, like, I'm not that. I just, you know, God is just love and just like, no, that's not what people mean when they say you're going to hell because God said you shouldn't do this, that, or the other. That's a false equivalency. Well, people really believe it though. I mean, I don't have to tell you. I think there's far fewer fundamentalist and extremist type religious people of all types, uh, especially in America, than there was, say, 20, 30 years ago. But that faction of the ideology can persist because the idea of religion and going to church and praying and all of that stuff is still very mainstream. And when people don't really actually believe like that, they kind of just take what parts they like. And yeah, I like that there's a, there's a God watching over me. No, of course you're not going to go to hell for eating shrimp, but yeah, you can, it's fine to be gay and, oh, but the Bible says, and and it's not religion. And it's like, we're allowed to have these value judgments and these lines of morality, but we have to understand that they're coming from us and that they're not from on high. And so we, we need to be able to update them and talk about them as if they're human constructs. And once you say, nope, God said it, God did it, you're closing off conversation. You're closing off possibility to- That's the whole thing though. Maybe it's because I'm related to so many people like that. Like growing up, most of the people I knew were like that. And so now when you say most people don't think like that, I want to believe you, but to propose what you just said is going to be really hard, if not impossible. Because I mean- You know, it's a good and bad thing. The bad thing is, is that, yes, you know, there's still people- hating gays and, and, and stuff because of their religion. That's obviously terrible. But the fact is that not everybody is going to delve into philosophy once they lose religion. And the concept yeah. of if you don't have a God, then where, are, where do you base morals from? It's a reasonable point because you do have to actively figure out, okay, what do I think is right or wrong? What these people don't realize is that you've, been, you've already been doing this your whole life you obviously don't think that an adulterer should be stoned in the street. That's what is in the Bible, but yeah. you don't believe that. You, you have already made that judgment. You just don't realize that you're doing that. And then it makes, you know, atheism a dirty word and, and yeah. it turns into a whole thing. So, so are these some of the answers you're trying to find with awe, really? Uh, yes and no. Like I said, I have a lot of opinions and I can say a lot of stuff, but I don't really have a, a through line yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to just kind of get a place to get these thoughts out. Like, you know, people don't talk about stuff anymore. And even on social media, where you do talk to people, the, the culture of social media is so much different than uh, a face-to-face conversation that yeah. for nothing else than just be, be able to have that conversation, um, I wanted to, to do the podcast. And then again, being able to kind of lay out my ideas and, and play them off other people and, and try to figure out what the hell do I have to say? I know I've got something important to say. I just don't really know what that is yet. So, so in a nutshell, tell me about I didn't read your book. So it's pretty basic, you know, what it sounds like. I uh, will find a published author and I'm, I'm changing the All Really channel to, to I didn't read your book stuff. So if you can find All Really, you can find I didn't read your book. I just uh, open up 
I do a solo segment where I read the back of the book and then I will look at the cover. It's called Judging a Book by Its Cover. <laughs> and then I'll, uh, I'll bring in the author. And because I get that stuff, uh, you know, the basics of uh, the contents of the book, we can kind of dive right into conversation. And while the book that I did in the, um, the, the intro is the, the starting point, the, the conversation really isn't uh, bound by, by much. I started it basically because with all these podcasts and, and stuff that I'm listening to and wanting to do, there's so many people be like, oh, you should read this and you should read that and you should read this. Oh it's my like, God. When, yeah. when the fuck am I, when do people read? <laughs> but like, I can listen to stuff at, you know, 2.4 times speed. So, yeah. um, you know, I've, I've been getting more into audible, but still it's just like, I don't, uh, I don't have time to read. And, and I figured also, you know, in this attention economy, you know, the back of the book and the cover of your book may not set it uh, apart from every other book that's on Amazon or in Barnes and Noble or whatever. And so if you come on with me and we're talking about your book, but we're really talking to you and we get to learn who you are as a person, then I feel like more people would be willing to, uh, you know, want to hear what you have to say about whatever topic rather than just here's a book about X. If you, yeah. you know, when, when people know who's behind the words, you know, they're a little bit more invested. I so love that. I haven't done any official releases. There are a couple of them are up on the Aubrey YouTube page, but I'm working on, you know, just getting all my ducks in a row, like getting the, the graphics and stuff. But yeah. So if you know anybody who um, would like to get the word out about their book send them my way. I know a few uh, published authors listen to my podcast because they're friends of mine. And so um, this is me telling you to go find, uh, tell me where people can find you. Yeah. So the, uh, so the podcast is called, I didn't read your book and I'm on social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter at I dry B Lutch. So it's the I D R Y B. I didn't read your book and Lutch L U T C H I dry B Lutch. And you go by Lutch, right? Yeah, I'm. Do you well, hate it when people call you Adam? Not really. Lutch started because of Akon. It was there was two right. Adams, so he was Akon and I was Lutch. And I I just like Lutch better. I don't really like the way Adam sounds. But uh, you know, now that I'm the only Adam left, most people just call me Adam. But since I'm starting a new uh, starting a new podcast, I figure why not try to bring it back. <laughs> That's so, sad. The only Adam left. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, sorry. <laughs> One lonely little Adam, just a little lutch. Aren't we all just little <laughs> Adams floating in space? Um, thank you for doing this. Is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? No, I had a great time. I want to thank you for having me on and caring about my life and what I have to say. Most people don't. Um, oh stop and- <laughs> no i feel like there's so much more we didn't talk about i think it was a great conversation i think there's so much more that we could dive into um yes, so agreed. whenever you need a guess and uh yeah like i said podcast is i didn't read your book i dry b and you can find me i dry b lutch i d-r-y b l u t c h on instagram and twitter Perfect. Thank you so much, Adam. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Hey guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.